0: Hi, I'm Carrie, your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we are skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. This season, we are exploring what it means to stay well and find healing after experiencing religious harm. Please note that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health support with a licensed professional. If you want to be part of the conversation, please follow the show on Instagram at your friends, the pod, or send me an email at kerry carrie at Thank you so much for being here. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Maggie Harrigan. Maggie uses she, her pronouns, and she runs the Instagram account Hello underscore Deconstructionist and hosts the podcast Hello Deconstructionist, where she is building community post-evangelicalism. She is a religious trauma survivor and a dedicated therapy client where she's working hard to understand who she is outside of religion. Her goal is to share parts of her own story and bring other survivors together to help them know they're not alone on their deconstruction journey. Maggie! It's so good to be here. I, I want to say welcome to the podcast, but I'm in your home. Well, recording. welcome to my home, and thank
1: you for having me on the podcast.
0: Yes, so this is exciting. Our first in-person podcast.
1: I know. Mine too, so I've never done an in-person podcast, so this is fun.
0: Yeah, this is super fun. Um, And Maggie was on season one, so I'll link that episode to, you to get a little like background, we're going to dive a little deeper today. Um, but just to get a little sense of where you're at and and what you're bringing into the, I guess, the religious trauma healing space, what is your relationship to high-control religion, including any experiences you had growing up or
1: in adulthood? Um. Yeah, my relationship with high-control religion is that I grew up in one. Um, and it's been a journey out of of that high control religion. So I grew up in evangelical Christianity, I would say pretty fundamentalist church. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. But I guess – I guess uh, I feel like I stopped going to church and then – and I didn't process any of it. And then, like, the processing hit me or, like, the processing that I didn't do hit me. Mm. And so, like, there's – plenty of church stuff that I'm sure will come up, but, um, but yeah, I think I stopped going, you know, it was before COVID, before the 2016 election. And then, um, at some point it was like, it all caught up with me and I realized that I had to start doing some of the processing. And Mm -hmm. so since then I've been in the, in the, like, hardcore deconstruction phase where I'm kind of coming out of that and coming to terms with the fact that I left a high control religion. Yeah.
0: When you say that you left before the 2016 election, were you still in church in some capacity or had you left church altogether too?
1: So I think I had left, but I just didn't look at it. Like I left, like I wasn't going to church. I remember saying to my sister at one point, like, I – I don't go to church and I don't really believe any of it, but I'm also, like, not ready to let it go yet either. So I think I think internally I was, like, I still have to identify as a Christian because I don't know what else mm-hmm. there is. Um, but I thought it was maybe a little bit before, like, a while before the 2016 election. But right before that, I wasn't going – I wasn't going at all, but I just wouldn't wouldn't talk about it. It was like if somebody asked me, do you go to church, I would be like, I have no idea how to answer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that fear in saying, no, I don't go to church? Or you just didn't – you weren't like totally committed to not going to church at the time?
1: I think probably some of both. Like I knew that I wasn't – I knew that I wasn't going and I knew that I wasn't going to go back, but I also – was kind of afraid to like admit that to myself. Yeah. Um because it's like you've backslidden or like mm-hmm. you've um I don't know, like you've walked away, which is such a bad thing. And yeah. so it's like I don't really want to admit that to myself.
0: Yeah. I this is making me think of and I don't know if you grew up with this um, idea of, like, the once saved, always saved. Like, mm. if you're a Christian, you will never not be a Christian. And I know for me, I was like, well, what does this mean about the first 22 years of my life? <laughs> if now I'm not, like, was that all fake? Right. That was, like, I don't know if that was your experience at all.
1: This was, like, a question that I had because I feel like they would say this sometimes. So, okay, let me back up. My church was, like, one where we didn't have, like, a set list of theology. It was sort of like, somebody else used this term and I'm going to steal it, Um, like leadership roulette or like mm. church teacher roulette. And so whoever you had as your Sunday school teacher was sort of the theology that you got, but it wasn't necessarily like church ordained theology. Mm-hmm. And so this was always kind of a question of mine, like if you're saved, you're always saved. Sometimes came up, but it wasn't like a hard and fast rule. And so I would wonder like, okay, if people walk away or, like, if I walk away, does that mean I never was saved, like you said? Um, Or does that – in some way, it also, like, um, discredits your walking away too? Yes. Like, okay, I've walked away, but actually you can't. Like, you will be brought back. Then there's nothing you can do about it. Like, it takes the control that you have even out of leaving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, like, one of the hallmarks of trauma. Is that you lose control? Right. Yeah. Um, what now that you are away from church and, and I know you talk a lot more about your relationship to high control religion and all that on your podcast and the previous episode, so I won't like dive in mm-hmm. as much here. We're gonna get more to the healing part of it, but what is your relationship to church or
1: religion or spirituality now? Mm-hmm. I guess, okay, I'll be unfiltered and, and blunt. Let me take my filter off. Um, I have no relationship with church. Like, I don't go. I don't care about it. But also, like, I will always have a relationship with church because it is part of my past. And so, um, like it or not, like, it lives with me. But I don't go. I don't – I don't – care if other people go for the most part. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't love that. I don't love the harm that the church does. Um, I mean, I actively don't like the harm that the church does, but, um, but like, I'm not someone who's trying to convert people out of church. Yeah. I think I'm just, I was in the business of convincing people what to believe for so long. And I'm not, that is not my job anymore. So for me, church is not a safe place it does a lot of harm, not just to me, but to a lot of other people too. And I, in no way, want to support that institution. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of spirituality, um, I don't really know. I, I think I have. I think I'm becoming more of a spiritual person. Um, Janie's here she's so cute okay everybody should know that Janie's yeah. on the podcast Janie hey, is Janie girl. here
0: uh, being kept separate from Luna the cat and really wanting to sniff
1: Luna <laughs> 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 I know she's not gonna come down for you because she's a kitty snack for you
0: <laughs> yeah no no kitty snacks today <laughs>
1: Um, so yeah. Okay. In terms of spirituality, I think I'm becoming more of a spiritual person, but like, again, I don't really know. I'm just sort of like, I think I'm spiritual in that, like if I'm, if I listen to like my most woo woo self, (laughs) I am divine. Like my, I have divinity within me and that is my like spirituality. Um, and I'm not going to hold myself to that because it will probably change, but that's where I am today.
0: Yeah. And I think that, That in and of itself can be, like, a way of being spiritual is acknowledging that you're allowed to change. Yeah. (laughs) That your beliefs are allowed to change and the way you interact with the world is allowed to change. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think – I don't know. I think that's something that I love – yeah, that I love about myself now is that I can change and that, like, the way that I view what I believe – is this is what I believe today, and tomorrow it could change.
0: This is really the
1: most like grassroots version of, <laughs> of
0: the podcast so far.
1: Well, this is my favorite episode I've ever <laughs> recorded.
0: <laughs> um, so in when I had reached out to you about talking on on the podcast for a second time about healing. In recovering from religious harm. One of the things that you had mentioned is that activism has been a big part of that. And I'm curious what that looks like for you.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) um, like I said, I don't feel like my job is to convert people out of church and I don't want to be part of that. Like I'm not, I don't ever want to (laughs) be telling people what to believe or what not to believe. Um, but that being said, um, I think in my own work out, coming out of church and like once, once that kind of not processing that I had done ca- caught up with me, um, and I was really digging into processing. I was, which is normal. I was noticing like a lot of anger, and I was really mad, um, and that's really common and normal. But as we sort of like, it's like a lot of the anger had left, but the anger that stayed with me was like, I'm mad for all the people who are in religion and like, who are still being hurt by religion. And not the kind of hurt that's like, I know better than you. And even if you want to be in it, you're being hurt. But the kind of hurt that's like, they want to get out and they don't know how, or they don't know that it is safe outside of church because we're told that it's not safe. And that's not true. We live, we both live very happy, safe, wonderful lives outside of church now. Um, And so I wanted to be just like an example of somebody who's left and like a safe place to, to go or to talk or to question things that you believe. And um, to be a place where like, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. Like, I don't I'm not going to tell you that you have to be an atheist now or you have to, I don't know, be any other version of mm-hmm. of yourself that you don't want to be. Um, and so, yeah, that's where it kind of started was like, I'm mad for these people that it's still hurting. Mm-hmm. And what can I do to help? Like I can't believe that there are still women and girls in these churches who don't get to lead but have incredible yes. thoughts and things to say. Um yeah. and so, yeah, so I guess how did that how does that relate to my healing? I guess, yeah, it was just like that was a lot of my own work in therapy. And I think it gave me something to do with my anger and made and helped my anger to feel productive and not mm-hmm. Like, I think anger is productive on its own, even just in that it tells us that something isn't right. Um, But it also gave me something to do with that kind of angry energy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I really, I appreciate like your, um, I guess, honoring of anger, because so often, especially as women, female identifying people, we're taught not that anger isn't okay to Mm -hmm. feel ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, yeah, it is a really important emotion. And and I feel when you were talking about, you know, like the people who are currently being harmed by religion, I totally resonate with that. And I think a lot of children, I that is like a very tender spot for me when I see like family members of young kids who are being raised in this and it is yeah, it, it's kind of heartbreaking in a mm-hmm. way that, like, you almost see that these kids are gonna grow up learning these things, mm-hmm. and yeah. Anyway, I don't I don't quite know what to do about that. That's not a fully formed thought, <laughs> yeah. but when you talk about activism, are you thinking of your work through the podcast and Instagram, or are there other ways that you have embraced activism?
1: No, it's mostly podcast and Instagram. Um, yeah, and it started with the with the Instagram, I guess, I don't know, 2020, 2021, something like that. um, And, and I always said, like, if it helps, if it helps one person feel less alone, then, then I'm happy that I did it. And so, yeah, I don't know. Whoever sees it is great. Like, I'm not, I'm not like trying to get followers, but I'm just, there to share my story or like pieces of my story and our collective story, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as I was talking to people more, well, first, as I was talking to people more, I decided like what would have been really helpful for me in leaving or in finding my way out of church would have been to hear so many other people's mm. stories. And so I, I decided to start collecting stories and um, started interviewing people and recording some interviews and they were so beautiful. Like people had so many good things to say. And I thought like, I wish people could hear these now. Like I will put them in a collection at some point. With, like a collective memoir of us mm. people that have left church. But, but in the meantime, like Let's share these stories on the podcast. And so that's what that's for. And it's all kind of stemmed from the same, from the same place. Just sharing stories together.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know I'm <laughs> sorry. I got her a squeaker toy. Could I <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> she record? Loves it. Um, here, you know what? There's one where the squeaker is gone. Oh no, this is, it's, it's it does from a, da, it's from a, um... Oh, my goodness.
0: She's probably. What,
1: do you, think? what she, do you think? You can destroy it. It's so good.
0: She's like I. I kind of like the squeaking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <We'll> <laughs> see. So silly. Okay. Um. Yes, I know that we had. I think I had shared this either on your <laughs> podcast or the first time that you were on mine about how you know you and I went to college together. Well we went to the same college and like interacted but weren't necessarily like friends I Mm -hmm. guess in college and then I reconnected with you through Instagram and Mm -hmm. that was a really really important part of my like starting to find community again so I will try not to have too many emotions today but I feel like even just being here in person to record this and have all the conversation and fun we'll have outside of the recording. It's like, it means very, means a lot to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that today too, when I was thinking about seeing you, well, I guess, I don't know. Like when you got here, we realized like we haven't actually seen each other in person since Gordon, but I feel like we've connected so, so much since then. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's something like really special about having somebody else who's left like in my space and like, I don't know. Yeah. It's really special. It
0: is special.
1: Um,
0: so, I mean, you talked about this a little bit as far as like how you started the Instagram account and the, the podcast. And I'm curious how that has supported your own healing. It certainly helped other people as I just mentioned. And I know there's lots of other people out there who's been beneficial for Um, how has it helped you other than the anger piece, which you did talk about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, like I said, the anger, it helped me have something to do with it. But I think in addition to that, it's made me stop and think through my story a lot, Mm, like a lot. And so, um, it's like when I first stopped going to church, I just didn't look at it. And Now I look at it all the time and not in a way that feels like obsessive or over the top, but like in a way that's like, it's acknowledging it for what it was. Um, and like, it helps me, I think, to acknowledge things when they come up. Um, like this week I was feeling really triggered by purity culture and it's like, oh, I, I know this, I know this feeling, I know, um, I know that like it's gonna be like a wave of grief that happens, and I don't know. I think being in that community and having to think through my story has helped me kind of see those cycles of grief and help helped me to understand mm-hmm. um, what healing looks like, which is really like up and down.
0: Yeah, yeah. and anger is a part of grief.
1: Like yeah. that
0: is part of the the cycle of grief.
1: I, I take full responsibility for that.
0: <laughs> She's also my dog is like a show off. <laughs> it's like she knows that we hit record and was like, Oh hey, I wanna be on here too. Um Yeah, I think there's a lot of power in story. Like that's something that I think as a therapist has been really helpful or that I've really gravitated towards is how we tell our stories mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how, as you've sat with your own story and heard other people's stories, if there's ways that how you understand or tell your own story, even to yourself, has changed through this process.
1: Yeah. I don't know, but I'm going to think out loud about it because that's what a podcast is for. (laughs) Um, But I think about like when we were meeting online and like a small group of us would meet. And just like talk about what it was like for us at the mm-hmm. moment, um, deconstructing and noticing how our stories changed over time. I don't know. I guess just like the more you tell your story, the more like the more clearly you see it. Mm-hmm. And so every time I talk about it, I feel like I can see it more clearly. Yeah. Um, or I I see it and then I like dig deeper and something is, like, feels less clear, but it's because I've, like, uncovered something new. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, is something, like, another layer that I can bring into therapy and, and work on and figure out. There was something else I was going to say about that. It'll come back to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I've been thinking recently about how much just the stories that we tell, like, every time – I think I heard this on your podcast, actually – with Christina. Every time you tell your story, it's a different yeah, story, it's a different yeah. version of it and that really stuck with me. Um yeah, because I think when I was very much in the, the anger place too at the beginning, which I think is normal, and now I'm not so much there and I look back at how I told my own story from anger and mm-hmm. how it's a little bit different now that I'm in a I'm a little more removed from it. I can have more feelings be yeah. part of the
1: narrative. Yeah. Well, I've noticed two things that just came up when you were talking about that. One is that, like, when I look back at my posts at the beginning of my Instagram account, I think they were more angry. Not like I'm gonna like justify anger here. Like, <laughs> no, I'm just gonna leave it at that. They they weren't like too angry, um, but they but they were definitely. Like I could, I can tell looking back that that was like my primary emotion. And then as I've told my story and it's sort of loosened up in me a little bit, um, now when I tell it, it's sort of like, it's not as present for me anymore. Um, and it still comes up, but it's not like taking over my life in the same way. Mm. And I can see that in my, in my posts now and like the way that I feel comfortable talking about it. Um, So just noticing like that difference in myself and how I talk about it, I think is – I don't know. just speaks to like the importance of telling your story and that it helps it to progress. Like it helps it to move forward. Yeah. Um, Yes. The other thing I've noticed coming up in therapy, and this is like very new for me, but – or not new, but like this is something that's kind of fresh, I guess – Um, So, again, this could change tomorrow, but is that I feel, like, everyone else's story is valid and worth telling and um, I am, like, would be the first one to, like, tell you that, like, religious trauma is trauma and you are okay and what you did – what you went through was that bad or whatever it is that you're, like, doubting in in yourself – but for me, I'm like, but my story isn't actually that bad. Mm-hmm. And like it's not that bad and it, it was okay and like it was trauma, but like was it really? Yeah. Um, and so just noticing that that doubt has come up for me, but I know that I'm protective of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes I'm putting things on Instagram or like having a podcast so that I can hear my voice tell me the things that I need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, it's been really helpful,
0: yeah, a hundred percent, I get that a lot of, yeah, a lot of what I've put out into the world is a reflection of where I'm at, yeah, internally, for sure, yeah, yeah. and i I notice the more distance I get from my own experience in high control religion, the the I, I'm able to do that with a little bit more clarity every mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. i'm I'm curious how you navigate talking about your deconstruction, your experience either in high control religion or coming out of it or where you're at now. How do you talk about that with family and friends or do you? Maybe
1: you don't. Yeah. Um, I guess it's different for everyone like that I'm in relationship with. Um, there are some people that I feel like I can be really honest and talk about all of it. And there are some people that I just don't even have a conversation with with um and I think everybody has like a kind of different level of safety for me um Mm. the people that have been the most safe have been really helpful to talk about it with of course um but I think in terms of like family that's been family that's important to me that maybe isn't in a place where hearing it would feel okay for them um I, I don't really talk about it with them, mm. um, and I'm very lucky that my my sister is also out of religion, and um, you can hear her story soon on my podcast, and it will be mm. fun. Um, <laughs> and my parents are very much on their own journey mm. that I always say is not mine to share, but and like I'm really proud of where they are. I'm trying to like think of how much I want to say and how much I don't want to say. Yeah, no, definitely, um, you know,
0: keep private with – stay private.
1: Yeah, private. but basically, like, I'm really proud of my parents, and I can tell them a lot, and I think that I am – I find that I tell them things after I've processed them. Like, mm. when I – my kind of rule of thumb is, like, when I feel like I'm in a good place with them or in a good place with whatever issue I'm working through, and I've sort of worked through the bulk of it, then that – is like up for up for conversation in my mind. And until then, it's sort of like this is something that I don't talk about with people unless I know for sure that it's like a really safe place. Yes. I feel like in your mind, you kind of always have this level of like this one is still really triggering or like this one's really charged still or yeah. this is pretty okay and I can talk about it and not feel, you know, not feel all the like flood of feelings come up.
0: Yeah. How did you – Um, and I know I'm going off our script a little bit. Oh, good. So no worries if you don't have an answer, but how did you start to figure out
1: what safety felt like and who was safe to share this with? Hmm. This is very rude because I ask these questions and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, this is. I'm so curious about their answer, but I don't have one. Okay, (laughs) let me think. Um, Well, I think like you're always scanning for safety all the time, right? So you're looking around and you're like, You notice who has a pride flag on their Mm. computer, like who has a, you know, sticker on their computer, or you notice who went to the women's march or who supported you going to the women's march. Um, and I think all of those small moments like build up over time. And so you kind of, you kind of always have a sense and sometimes you're wrong for sure. Like sometimes I'm Mm. wrong, but. You kind of always have a sense of where people's yeah, like where their safety level is, or mm-hmm. where your safety level is with them, I guess. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think it's just like like a she didn't Janie. I think it's like a constant scanning for safety, and then kind of keeping all of those things in mind, keeping them all in the back of your head, and and um.
0: She won't. She's a, at times a <laughs> scaredy baby and will not probably go past the that. so cute. <laughs>
1: Sorry,
0: so, no, so many interruptions. Oh, it's
1: all good. <laughs> this is a real-life conversation, right? And that's what podcasts are for.
0: She's in the background of every recording I have, but she's never like, vocal. <laughs> she's always in the room. She's just not vocal like this.
1: You just like being at someone else's house? Yeah. Is it a play date? <laughs> yeah, oh. Um. Yeah. So that's all. Scan, scanning for safety. And then I think you kind of have a an internal tally of who feels safe about different topics. Like yes. maybe somebody is – maybe you notice a pride flag on somebody's computer and so you feel comfortable talking to them about like LGBTQ things. And then you, from that conversation, you get a glimpse of where they are in other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that
0: really speaks to – the importance of all those symbols. Like, I, I think sometimes I've heard people like, well, why do, like, why do we need to put a pride flag? Yeah. I'm like, yes. well, it is, it's a symbol, not that it guarantees someone is safe, no. but it is at least a, a symbol of potential mm-hmm. alignment and mm-hmm. values. Right. Um, and that matters in a world where you don't know right. what people are believing. Right. At any time, at any given time.
1: Right. Again, it doesn't tell you everything, but it tells you something. It gives you something to start, a place to start from. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Yeah, to a, a, like, I see you
1: Mm -hmm.
0: kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Have you noticed that it's gotten easier to navigate this as time goes on, the, like, sharing with people?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that is just because – it's less charged for me. Like yeah. it's not as, um, it doesn't feel as life or death if this person who used to be your mentor in a church setting doesn't support you or agree with your choices anymore. Um, it's like I don't, I don't really care. I mean, and and I do. Like there's there's certainly grief that still comes with that, but it's sort of like. Um, my life and my value to me, like I'm finding my value in other ways now in healthier ways. Like I don't need that from other people or from these people who still hold these beliefs that I don't agree with. Um, and as I kind of continuously come to terms with that, their opinion matters less. And so conversations get easier because it's less, there's less at stake.
0: Yeah. Yes. Have you found people along this journey who are mentors in this way?
1: Hmm.
0: In the deconstruction space or in whatever expansiveness? Because you're so much more than a person who's deconstructing too. That is just one part (laughs) of your identity.
1: (laughs) Um... That's a great question, and to, like, expand it outside of deconstruction. Um, I think certainly, like, I'm a teacher. I'm a music teacher, so, like, there are teachers that I look up to. Um, There are musicians that I look up to and, like, um, professors from my grad program that I very much look up to and would, you know, ask for help at any point, like, in terms of music or – And so there are certainly people that I look up to in those senses, I think, or in those like realms, I guess. Um, I think in terms of deconstruction, I have separated myself from the idea that you need someone else to guide you and to pull you along. And so I don't feel like, yes, I have a mentor and it's me. Like it's my voice. It's my intuition. And Mm -hmm. I don't need someone else to do that. There are certainly people whose perspectives I really appreciate it's like I go to you I go to um, another good friend of mine who's in a similar place and and like to be able to talk feels so helpful but it feels like we're parallel even if we're not the same like it doesn't have to be that we believe the same things or we're in the same place that but to be it feels like we're equals not like one is a mentor yeah
0: yes yeah I mean there's very much um, an enforcement of that power dynamic in, mm-hmm. in churches and, and in a lot of spaces, to be honest. I mean, there's a power dynamic in being a teacher and right. versus a student, right. a therapist, and a client. Yeah. And and kind of releasing yourself from the need to have an authority. Yeah. That was really hard for me at first. I really gravitated towards like different forms of yoga that were very authoritarian mm. because I like left Christianity and was looking for something else to tell me how to do yes. life.
1: Yeah. Well, I think a place that I have kind of struggled with this to use a nice Christian term is um is actually like therapy and like my therapist mm-hmm. herself um like I want to I I think it would be easy to fall into like I want you to tell me what to do and like what to believe and like who am I now? But that's not her job and she obviously doesn't do that because she's good at her job. Mm-hmm. Um but I think you know if I'm like who who is the kind of like authority in my life, I think it is I think it would I think I would have to I have to work hard to make sure that it's not my therapist, yes. if that makes sense.
0: Totally does. I fall into that with my own therapist as just like as a person but also as a therapist like well am I doing am, When I'm a therapist, am I doing it the way my Mm -hmm. therapist is? Yeah, yeah. I don't – everyone's their own person. (laughs) Yeah. And she would never reinforce that. Yeah. But we're always looking to, like, make meaning of the world and ourselves by looking at other people. I think that's a normal process. And it can – if we rely on that without looking inward, it can get in the way of – our own
1: intuition Mm -hmm. and in the church it's a constant comparing yourself to this standard that you Mm -hmm. should be whether it's other people or like um the kind of ideal version of christianity that you're supposed to be and so it's just a constant comparison and i think this is more than just in the church for sure but we had a lot of practice with it in the church absolutely yeah
0: You had mentioned um, at one point that writing letters with no intention of sending them was really useful, and I'm curious, like, where that idea came from and what what that looked like for you.
1: Yeah, I think this was something that my therapist recommended, Um, and actually, this was something that my, like, previous therapist, so I had seen a a therapist, like, a a while ago, like, a long time ago, um, like, after college, but before I had... Oh, it was after college before I had, like, looked at church things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was just like, I'm just really anxious. Like, I am so incredibly anxious that I'm having panic attacks all the time. And so I went to a therapist for anxiety because I thought that's all that it was. Um, And it certainly was that. Um, But also it was religious trauma, which I didn't know at the time. But anyway – a suggestion she had at some point was to write a letter to somebody. I don't even remember what it was for. It wasn't church-related. And it was so helpful to just write it because it it helped me access this unfiltered version of myself and an unfiltered version of my words that I feel towards someone but that I don't want to say to them. Yeah. And then from there, I can edit it or I can scrap it. Like, I don't have to do anything with it, yeah. but I can – edit it if I want, um, and decide what is it that I'm trying to say. I've had some, like, distant family, I guess, um, reach out to tell me that my Instagram account makes them very sad and, you know, other friends that are like, you're very broken, Mm. and it, it's, it was really helpful to just stream of consciousness, write out my thoughts to them, and then, edit it from there. And as I look at what I wrote, my un- the unfiltered version of what I wrote, I can see what I actually want to say to them that maybe I couldn't access before, like couldn't quite put words to. Um, and then I can filter it down and actually send them a reasonable letter that isn't like an F word, every other word, yes. you know, yes. um, and, and get my point across. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. The, the feelings need to move through you. Yeah. They do. They're not going to go anywhere just stuffing them down. Right. (sighs) Yeah. And what you said about, um, I went to therapy for anxiety, but didn't really (laughs) know. That was totally my experience too. And when I'm in the therapist role, I have a lot of people come to me like, oh, I'm just anxious. I'm kind of sad. And I start asking them about their religious experience. Like they haven't come to me for religious trauma. And it is, It's mind blowing to me how many people have that experience at some point in some way in their life and haven't actually realized how harmful it is. And it's not like I'm trying to tell people, like I'm not implanting memories and this is not a teal (laughs) swan situation. Um, But we've been so kind of trained culturally to look at church as like a strength Mm -hmm. and it certainly can be. Um, But yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge like that harmful experiences in church or otherwise impact how we feel, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: And this is one of those times where – and I didn't see it in myself until I'm saying it now on the podcast, but mm-hmm. um, where, like, my body knew something was wrong before I had started processing it. And it's like yeah. I was having – like, I've I've had anxiety my whole life and it's, you know, been ups and downs of it feeling more or less um, – restrictive maybe to like my life but but this was a time where it was like I cannot I don't feel like I can do my job with the level of Mm -hmm. panic that I feel all the time Mm -hmm. um and yeah I just thought it was anxiety and like finally my anxiety is catching up with me um but then when you look at the thoughts behind these anxious like when you really get to the root of of the anxious thought it comes with like I'm not good enough or like you're going to burn in hell or you're broken or you're a sinner saved by grace or whatever the saying is, sinner saved by grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've seen it in other people, but it's nice to hear it in myself too that like my body knew too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, 100%. That was absolutely my body was my doorway into healing through chronic illness. But, um, yeah, yeah our bodies are so wise. And I
1: know you know that. You say it all the time. But but I say it because I need to hear it. So (laughs) yeah, that's one of the things that's like, I think I'm telling other people that because I do truly believe it, but it's so hard to believe it for ourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This stuff is so deeply ingrained and so insidious. I think this is one of the values of sharing our stories over and over again and noticing how they shift and change and and I've what I've noticed come up for me as we've been talking about stories is the idea of a testimony
1: yes oh my god Um, yes
0: and like I noticed some resistance in myself to even use the word story but I think what is different and (laughs) I'd be curious your thoughts is that for me my my testimony had to be a certain way like there was an arc Mm -hmm. that needed to (laughs) exist in order for it to be right yes yes And I think what's different about this story is that it's constantly changing and there's no one right way. There's no, there's no like plot points that need to be covered in order to make it a legitimate story. Mm -hmm.
1: And And there's no, you don't have to like prove to anyone that your deconstruction is valid. It just is because it's what you're experiencing. So you don't have to have some like... Climax of your deconstruction story or a time when you questioned deconstruction and then came back. Like it just it is valid because it's what you're experiencing, and that feels like the big difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think this is a common experience for people who grow up in church where like we're kind of ingrained with this, like, like you said, sinner saved by grace and it You know, your testimony is so much more interesting if you have this, like, big sin. Yes. When you're, like, 13, <laughs> like, that's when I had to give my testimony, was baptized in front of my whole church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what What kind of bullshit was I making up about my <laughs> – I lived a very sheltered life. Like, I didn't do bad things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, but, like, I had to make up some story about how awful I was as a person.
1: Yes. You're constantly racking your brain for – Things that you've done wrong, yeah. which is a terrible place to be. I think I shared and shared this in Christina's episode too. Um, that like during communion when we had to mm-hmm. confess our sins, I was just a really good kid. I really didn't do, mm-hmm. I just didn't break the rules because I was afraid to. And um, so the sin I could come up with was pride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I was like, I'm a prideful person because I don't think I've sinned, but of course I have because we are all sinners saved by grace. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reading this book right now called On Our Best Behavior, which is not about religious trauma necessarily, but it's this um, journalist who is going through the seven deadly sins and mm-hmm. talking about how they've been used to like especially keep women kind of um, under control and yeah. in check and trying yeah. being one of them. And um, when I'm finished, I will I will give it to you. Yes. <laughs> um, but she was talking about pride as an invitation for us to, like, notice our accomplishments. Mm. And that it's not a bad thing, necessarily. Yeah. But we've been so trained to, like, not even allow ourselves to see the good things or take credit for anything good we've done.
1: Yeah. Well, even even in the way that we feel or we can feel like my story isn't good enough or like my, I don't know, my like church hurt wasn't bad enough Mm -hmm. or whatever to like claim as religious trauma or whatever, religious harm. Um, It's almost like we end up with this like imposter syndrome in our own lives and for our own Mm -hmm. stories. Um, Yeah. Yeah
0: curious what you would say to your 16 year old self if you had to go back in time
1: oh this is a good question and I had not thought of an answer for this (laughs) um okay my 16 year old self I think I would say um you're okay you will be okay and you like you don't you don't have to be frozen all the time. Like you can let yourself like come out of this like hypervigilant state and you can like you can physically and mentally be in the world around you and be okay. Like you will be safe. Um Yeah.
0: Are you ready for a little change of pace? It's I'm ready. I'm ready for the rapid fire <laughs> questions. <laughs> There's so many wonderful things that we have to talk about, and they're going to be not on the record after this. So. <laughs> um, okay. Rapid fire questions. Kay. What song would be the background music for your life today?
1: Today, um, Coming Home song by Sammy Ray and the Friends. It is newly released from an album that's coming out soon, and it's amazing, and it's about taking care of yourself and leaving a light on for yourself when you come home. Ugh. Yeah. That
0: I, I don't usually like speak during the rapid fire questions But I love I need to listen to that I saw that they had a new song out I need to listen to it Coming home to myself has been I would say like the theme of this journey Yes, you know? yeah Um,
1: What is the weirdest food combination you enjoy? Okay, well, I'm going to steal yours because we're going to eat it in a minute. Um, Apple pie and cheddar cheese. This was a new thing for me. And when I heard you say this on your intro episode, I was like so excited. So anyway, we're going to eat that snack in a little bit.
0: I love it. I was just before I got to Maggie's house, I was with my um, grandparents who are very, very Vermont, Um, and I told them, because apple pie and cheddar cheese, I think, is a Vermont thing, or at least a Northeastern thing, and um, my grandfather was so happy that we were going to try that together. (laughs) It's one of his favorites, so my 87-year-old grandfather, who is still a full-time farmer, um, is pleased with our decision to have apple
1: pie and cheddar cheese. Good, good. We can send him a picture.
0: I don't know if he'll know how to look at it, but yes, we can.
1: And he doesn't know who I am, but. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, If you had to get a tattoo today, what would you get?
1: Mm, I think a calla lily running up my spine where like the calla lily comes up on my neck. Yeah, I love that. What
0: was the last time you laughed so hard that you cried? Or when was it? You don't have to share all the details of the mm. situation. Um,
1: I think... In a conversation with my sister, um, yeah, we've seen each other a lot in the last year, and it's been really nice. And we usually end up in some good belly laughs, <laughs> or we call them the Harrigan Witch cackles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, what is one item on your bucket list?
1: Hmm, um, I like to keep my bucket list kind of manageable so. Mm, one item is to go to Spain because we're going to go visit my brother-in-law there this summer. So I only like to put things on my bucket list when I know I can do that.
0: <laughs> then you can actually get Very off. cautious
1: bucket list. <laughs> That's
0: a cool creator. One, though. <laughs> um, What is something you're reading or watching right
1: now? Mm, I'm watching Botched, which is a terrible show about botched plastic surgeries.
0: Like reality?
1: Yes. Oh, okay. And, um, these doctors like fix botched plastic surgeries and it's really like comforting in a way. Um, and it's comforting and terrible. So trigger warnings and also like you realize that all standards are made up and, and it's kind of nice to see that. So yeah, that's my botched.
0: botched. (laughs) Um, what is something that strangers often incorrectly assume about you?
1: Um, I've been told that I'm like a very outgoing person and that does not feel true to me. Like I'm, I'm just like loud and confident and I am just not a loud person. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody thinks this, but this is some one that comes up a lot that I'm always yeah. surprised by.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: cause I'm very cautious and shy and reserved. Yeah.
0: And as a music teacher, especially elementary school, right? You kind of have to, yeah. be a little bit more outgoing. In that yeah, setting I think least.
1: there's like a work persona that gets translated to like, yeah, I'm a loud person.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what emoji do you use the most?
1: Uh, I think the laughing crying face, yeah, classic, or now. yeah, I know, or the <laughs> upside down smiley face. Yeah. It's like who knows? Yeah, it's pretty weird,
0: right? <laughs>
1: What is your favorite scent? Mm, um, the My new signature scent that I've been using. I've never had a signature scent, and I'm very <laughs> excited about it. Um, and it's called By the Fireplace, and it's a little smoky and a little sweet. Ooh, yeah, I love that.
0: This is like a perfume.
1: Yeah, taste. this is very like, I took that question very literally. Yeah, but, um, nice. but yeah, it smells like home.
0: Um, and last question: What is your favorite place on the planet?
1: Um, the top of a mountain in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. like any of them, mm-hmm. any of yeah. We spend so much time there, and they feel like a second home. Yeah, and um, I I think too, it's where I unknowingly did a lot of processing, and so they feel like a kind of a coming home to myself, like mm-hmm. you said.
0: Yeah, a beautiful note for us to end on. <laughs> um. Maggie, where can people find you, follow the podcast, follow your Instagram?
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at hello underscore deconstructionist, Um, and you can DM me or anything pretty easy to reach, Um, and you can email me at hello.decons at gmail.com. You can also find my podcast called Hello Deconstructionist anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: (laughs) This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod. And you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion psychotherapy or my website, carriefillion.com. I am committed to keeping the show ad free and accessible to everyone. So if you would like to make a donation to support the work of your friend, the therapist, you can find a link to my PayPal in the show notes. You can also support the show by listening and subscribing on Substack, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. If this show has been helpful for you, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world. Until next time, take care and stay well.